Do you know what? I was about to touch on this. Not tonight. You're not on the list. Hello, I'm Connor McLoon and welcome to the You're Not On The List podcast, produced weekly for Rewind That Track. On this podcast, we interview, dive deep and take a journey into the lives of those in the music industry. From festival organisers to artists, we take a look at what people have witnessed backstage, on stage and everything in between. My guest this week is a legendary drum and bass artist who has been in the industry for over 15 years. He's released three albums and is the brains behind tracks like Tap Ho, Where's My Money and Get Down Low, it's TC. During this episode, we discuss growing up in Bristol, what it takes to make 28 tracks in 30 days, the etiquette that DJs should have between each other and the importance of never taking your foot off the gas. My guest this week is an acclaimed drum and bass artist and DJ from Bristol. He released his debut album in 2007, has had releases on Ram Records, Don't Play, at Ministry of Sound, has done remixes for the likes of Example, Moby and Maverick Sabre, has played the likes of Let It Roll Festival, DMB Arena, Radio One. It is the mastermind behind Tap Ho, Where's My Money, Jump, it's Tom Caswell, aka TC. Good morning, fella. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am very well, mate. I am very well. I'm warm. I'm going to preface this and be very open <laughs> and honest at the moment. I am toasty today. It is a warm Friday morning in uh, in July. We are three days away, three days touch wood from Freedom Day and opening and raves and everything like that. How are you? Uh, how are you feeling? I'm excited about the opening. I feel like a lot of the DJ community are like slight, like I'm excited, but I'm also like a little bit sort of worried about you know, my position as an artist moving forward, going to all these raves, all these people going to be there. It's going to be an interesting time. You know, we've obviously not had much DJ practice (laughs) for a while. So it's going to be really interesting to get back into that. I've been making sure I get all the latest tunes, been downloading like 50, 60 tunes uh, a month onto my DJ USB sticks, been really careful with like not losing touch. So I'm super excited to get back out there in, in uh, rave club land. But I mean, it is a little bit of a worry. I really don't want to get sick. I did get the double sort of jab for yeah. the thing, but like, I just don't know how it's going to turn out, bro. I feel like honestly, you know, just sort of jumping in, randomly um that it feels like it's a bit of a play this thing and we might end up not staying opened up you know what i'm saying and they might lock it off again and so i'm not really getting like overly excited about the opening um because they can just take it away from us as well so i'm just like ah, i'm just gonna chill with it got a few gigs in the diary but if they don't you know, I'm not going to stake my financial security on being a DJ for the next year. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But, um, yeah, we, you've got a couple of other uh, streams of income and a couple of other things that we'll touch on in the podcast later yeah, as well. Man. A man with fingers in many pies. I, would, I just want to say thanks for the intro there. really appreciate it that you, uh, you know, did a bit of yeah, research and stuff. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Like I said, we, before we were having a little chat about this, I, it's an absolute pleasure to chat to you today. I've been a massive TC fan for years and years. I've seen you play live, I've listened to mixes. I'll tell you what, your your mixes have probably been on in my gym, like in my gym workouts for the last five, six, seven years. Like I've ran, worked out, lifted weights many a time to your live sets and uh, it's motivated me. High energy, high octane. Um, so yeah, all the accolades and all the stuff at the start mate are very well deserved that's amazing and i never really considered like my mixes or music to be gym music really um well I, it's, you just open it up to me now like i can see why there's yeah. a lot of energies the fast oh, pace mate, go if for a you're run. doing sprints or if you're running <laughs> or working out yeah 100 percent. and like i said you also sometimes uh in the sense of jumps on the mic and like i said you've got high energy uh there's double drops there's that like it's just even for the bpm like the bpm alone is high high octane high bpm yeah very big workout music mate yeah for sure i can i can see that now that's that that is awesome i mean i I should probably work out more and then listen to my own mixes to get like the inspiration. But um, yeah, that's cool, man. I'm glad that you've, I, I really appreciate that you are into what I've been doing over the years. And, you know, I, I literally, I just come from a place from like humility, gratitude, kindness and empathy. 
And really, like, I am so grateful for people like you who listen to the music and to anybody who listens to what I do or consumes my content. You know, I, I just I can't believe that people really even want to consume the content that I'm producing. So, like, when I get sort of like people tell me that they're enjoying it, I just feel so grateful for that. It's amazing. Do you know what it is as well, mate? You are such a hard and fast worker. The amount of content that is out there from yourself, I think, definitely helps there as well. We'll get onto it later as well. But, well, we might as well start on it now. Now, one thing that you did during lockdown last year, 30 tracks in 30 days. Yes, yeah, so I've been trying to like just produce daily content. I feel like daily content from an artist perspective is like the most important thing for, you know, just staying out there and like day trading attention, being in front of people's eyes, making sure that, you know, you're never sort of left to the side. People always know that you've got something going on. Um, I did do, I did 28 tunes in 30 days. So I didn't exactly make the 30, I didn't complete the 30 day challenge. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Sometimes you have to lose. Sometimes you can't win all the time. I came away from that with like 28 tunes that are actually pretty decent. I'm really like into most of the tunes that I produce. Some of them are not so good. But then again, also, as an artist, you're not always going to be finding gold. Like sometimes Mm. you have to go down the rabbit holes to be making like tunes and you're not always going to make amazing tunes every single time. But making 30 tunes in 30 days, I really want to do it again, actually. I've like yeah. been in, in the back of my mind because I want to produce content daily and that's probably like the best way to make content. And I like I re- what I really want to do is have something productive come from the content that I'm making. So yeah. if I'm like going to go play a gig, I want to film the whole thing. I want to document it yeah. so that I'm like, you know, not wasting a single moment. Like the other day, there was this new producer who hit me up called Goddard and he was like, bro, let me pay you for your knowledge. Like, let me sort of like, I want to pay you so that you can tell me how to do like some of the mastering on my tracks and just help me sort of get a little bit more knowledge about how to make my stuff sound better. And I was like, bro, look, if you come on and do like a live talk with me, then, or like a recorded kind of talk, then I'm happy to talk to you for free because I just want to be like, like giving knowledge and also just, documenting everything that I do I think as an artist it's so important to just be out there every single day yeah and like like you said social media is so important in people's lives now from marketing from business for people's satisfaction and also like you said just keeping just keeping a record it's like keeping a diary isn't it of just making sure like all the experiences that you've had there it's funny actually Goddard was the uh, Goddard was the last uh, the last guest on this ah. podcast actually so I, I know uh, I know Andrew quite well uh, we've right okay a super away, sound so, guy cool. man I just really well, well. gelled with him man he was a really good guy and just to pick up on what you said there about social media you know I was in two minds about social media for such a long time I was like ah oh, do I do I really want to be a part of social media is it something that I that I sort of like subscribe to obviously like I feel so grateful for the amount of people that follow me on the socials and the amount of interaction that I get and the fan base that are connected to that and like my whole community are just super nice people I can think of so many people that I talk to you know daily on my discord and that kind of stuff but I was I was always in two minds about it and then quite recently I just kind of said you know what I'm just gonna embrace it a hundred percent and try and just put something out every single day and yesterday is the only day that I missed in about two months and I'm just so like I was like oh no I missed the day bro but um you know I've just been trying to just embrace it actually and like people live on their phones yeah and I thought it it could be like a negative thing the social media but actually there is so if you choose to be positive there is so much positive awesome like you know amazing information on the socials and you just have to choose to unfollow the people that are super negative and anybody who's super positive and like uplifting and makes you feel good follow those people you know, be a part of that community. And actually it can be so awesome. There are so many YouTube channels. I'm like addicted to YouTube. Yeah. Um, recently I got myself like these premium subscription for YouTube. So no ads. No ads, thought, no ads. He's flexing, he's flexing. And no ads. Wow. Is it life changing? Flossing out here. <laughs> and, um, it's the best thing I ever did. I mean, because I just follow so many people and it's all just super inspiring, positive information anyone negative just gets locked off you know yeah do you know what i think that's a really important thing because 
like you can you can just unfollow and unsubscribe to people you go you know what that doesn't make me feel good that's not what i don't want to encourage that because i mean people (laughs) but if if something doesn't make you feel good or if something's making you feel negative then you literally can unfollow or block it or just go you know what i just want that's not the that's not the path that's not the content that i want to be consuming i want to feel good about myself so i want people that are going to be bigging stuff up or having positivity or having stuff like that um yeah, like 100%. And it's interesting. Like, have you got any sort of YouTube channels that you could shout out or anyone that you think? Gary V. Like- Gary V, yeah, man. Gary he's v, just mate. I've followed Gary V for a while. Like, he, I, I've got a couple guy. of his books. I've got a couple of his books. He's um, I didn't buy his books yet. Uh, like, I've got books of people that I have sort of, you know, followed for a while. This is one guy called David Allen who had this GTD thing, getting things done. I bought his book because I watched all his content. I never read any of their books, but I buy their books to pay them. I need to buy Gary Vee's book. I did look at his trainers. I was like, hmm, I might have to pick up those K-Swiss collabs. <laughs> but with um, with Gary Vee, man, that guy, he, the amount of content and the amount that he has changed my perspective on things and just been a super positive influence on me, i got to give him a massive shout out. There's a lot of other channels that I follow. A lot of them are a little bit left of center. I find a lot to gain sort of musical inspiration. I will look at like a random guy who fixes electronics in his basement or like another dude who, I don't know, there's this one guy who fixes jet engines and like reconditions like the fan blades of jet engines. And I just find like that methodical approach to the way that you work is so important. And a lot of the maker community, like um, Tested, Adam Savage is Tested. I love watching those videos. I have them on in the background when I'm working on my admin or working on music. And it just really makes me feel like I've got someone in my workshop with me you know like yeah. making music is all about physics and you know there are a lot of really boring times when you're making tunes when you just got to tweak that hat or like find some sounds or make some sounds on a synth or something and just that sort of having someone around who's geared towards wanting to work at the same time and be productive um you know you can only do as much as you can do in each day but actually having someone around is is it's like having a coworker who's super positive and wants to work. Do you and know I just what? love I really like that. I've never heard of anyone doing that. Like having having that on in the background while you're also being creative and like you said, sort of bouncing off of that energy and having mm. that in the room with you. That's really interesting. And that's uh that's I think there's a, a few people listening to this that might will go ahead and try that now and be like, you know what, I want to get like my creativity flowing. I'm working on something here. To have someone that is sort of on that same energy, whether it's through a screen or just through the or a visual or format, will be a really useful to people i reckon i get so many ideas from uh that kind of stuff as well you just love sort of building stuff and you know when you're building tunes it's the same thing you're sort of gathering up all of the elements for a tune and then constructing it and it is making in a sense it really is that sort of i don't know just it's, it's just the creative process for a lot of people from the outside could seem like it was sort of a magical thing, but yeah. actually it's just daily, just grind. <laughs> it, it is like a Do methodical, you know I mean? yeah, like, so there is processes and it's, it, there, there's creativity in there, obviously, but like you said, there is a process behind it and there are steps to like, like I said, if you were building a physical uh, piece of equipment or a, like a piece of furniture or anything like that, the same could be said for music where you are going through and layering it up and that's, is that sort of how you approach music all of the time? Like, is it now at a point where it is methodical or is there sometimes you just like, right, I've made this crazy baseline, um, I'll work around it that way. Or do you always sort of go from like starting at a certain point in the track and working your way up from there? So there's years and years of collecting sounds and um, presets and just loads and loads of different sounds, drums, effects, just so that I know that when I come to a creative time when I'm like, I need to execute on a tune, everything is pretty much made. So I've got, you know, like all of the drums, everything um, is just sort of, obviously it's all the different hits and stuff within that, you know, drum track or whatever, um, but they'll already be accessible to me. So I'm never sort of thinking, I need a hat and that will take me 20 minutes to find. It's literally just a two seconds to just go like, there's a hat, put it in and just chuck it into the tune. Mm. The best tunes from my experience come from an idea, not from a sound. If I sit there and I'm like, okay, I've got some drums and I've got a bass and that's a really cool bass sound. That's really cool. 
But nobody in a sort of nobody's really going to connect with that idea of that tune unless that bass is just so unique, which is mm. very hard to do nowadays, you know. Um, but really, it's going to be like an idea. It's going to be a concept. So, like, I did a tune called Get Down Low, which um, was on Owsler, Skrillex's label. And the concept of the track is to get everybody in the rave to sort of, sort of get down low, sort of, sort of, I don't know, crouch down. And then when the drop hits, everyone jumps up in the air and it's like a really cool little moment. And I got the idea for that track playing in Romania in Bucharest um, because like, it's like a custom for them in that place to do that when the drops, when you like dropping a tune or doing a, a double drop or something. So yeah. like I, I just kind of grabbed onto the concept of the idea of the track and then it spent, I don't know, like two or three months kind of mulling around in my brain. I just knew that if the, that good idea keeps coming back to me, I just have to execute on it. So um, just going back, basically like the best tunes I think come from ideas, not from sort of the sounds. And that's why you have to put in all of that work to get all of the sounds kind of together before you're going to execute on making the tune from the concept, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it's I a do. bit wordy. No, 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 that makes total sense. But what I was going to ask how 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 quickly did people take to actually get in? Like when you first, because that's that's a like I, I know that track. Lots of people will know that track. How long did it take for like the crowd when you were first playing it out to sort of like obviously actually start like moving and start getting like lower and then like jumping up with a drop? Like when you're playing it's it pretty out, pretty much straight day, away because right it's away, in yeah, the vocal and yeah. like you get the MC. That's, yeah, on board. So they're they're sort of going like, everybody get down low. So everyone does the thing, and then I think actually the novelty of the tune, sort of after two years, kind of wore off. But that two years was sick, bro. Two years, I was gonna say, <laughs> I've been at, I've been at events where that has happened, and there's not many drum and bass tunes where like you literally. It's not like it's not a uh, it's not a dance to it, but there's not many tracks that I can think of to myself where there's a physical piece of movement where where you can go like, oh, that's what they do on that track, or that's what they do on that track. Yeah, so in the it's scene, it's such a dance orientated kind of genre like you know um it's it's really cool to have you know maybe there should be like a signal to play i got another one which is coming up actually which is going to be a bit kind of like on that movement vibe i don't want to give away the concept to the tune because like sometimes if a tune has a concept that's really strong it would be really easy for another artist to get there first. So I'm yeah, always yeah, like, so don't, don't, yeah, yeah, don't, don't, not don't, giving that one away. Don't tease it yet. Don't tease it yet. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I mean, it is, it, I guess, having a physical movement. I think that comes from like the dance hall community, though, because there's a lot of sort of dance hall dances where people, yeah. as you know, I did earlier, like signal the plane, roll the boat, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, there yeah. are, there's dances and, you know, it might be, maybe it'll be a thing. I guess like also in the EDM community, there's that one where they get them to wave, you know, do the waving. Side, yeah, absolutely. And then there's that one where they, everyone jumps. I went, I went to yeah, see, like um, right. I have seen yeah, that. That's huge. Have you seen that? I saw it at, um, Tomorrowland. And right. the guys who made the tune were playing on some other stage. And me and my missus were like, yo, this goes, I think it's W and W. Right. And we went over there. And I mean, we didn't have no backstage access for any other stages apart from the one that I was playing on. So we were just in the crowd mm. and it was just a moment, man. It's just like that festival is insane. And just seeing sort of 10 people jump to the left and then jump to the right. Like, I can't imagine what that would be like from an I'm artist standpoint. I mean, if, you, if, if anyone else besides someone playing music was trying to coordinate that, it would be hectic. But because you've got a beat there and because people are sort of a little bit used to it, they, you suddenly can coordinate 10,000 people at the drop of a hat, just going like, right, we're going this way, right, we're going that way. That must be kind of buzzy still. I mean, really... <laughs> getting yeah, everyone yeah. to do that yeah, and like you said then for viral content like you said social media as soon as that video is Massive. going out or as soon as that's going there it's going sharing um you touched on earlier saying about uh, how you've got years and years of of, uh, of samples and years and years of, of content some people might not be quite aware how long you have been producing or have been in the music industry is, is it from early 2000s late 99 early 2000s sort of not time? quite that long um Probably 2004 was like my right, first okay. sort of making tunes. And then 2006, I think, was like my first release. So mm, sort of mid-2000s. Um, okay. 
So that's still so, yeah, sort of like I mean, I've been yet. around 15 years or so. I, ch- I try not to talk about it too much because it just sort of like dates you. <laughs> well, what I, I don't mind. Say, I don't the, mind. I was going to say the flip. I was going to say how much experience and as and a sort of like a relatively elder statesman in the uh, in the drum and bass scene, like with that much experience and that much of a back catalogue, uh, there's 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 a reason why that your your tracks and your mixes and how well established you are in the drum and bass scene there's there's reason behind it is what i was, what I, was I think in say. my mind the elder statesmen are the people who came before me and right. i have so massive respect for like groove rider, groove rider and fabio, Goldie hype, and like fabio that, yeah. hype you know all these names all these people and i wouldn't even call them old school but now I'm old school and it's just like, who, I just don't even know what's going on. <laughs> Do you know I, what I mean? I would, take, I would say that as a compliment. I would say that, that you've got, you've got, uh, you've got experience and you've got sort of a back catalogue and you've got that sort of, um, you've got those accolades within the industry. There's a, there's a lot of people that might, that will, that will come through in the, in the music scene and will maybe say like have one massive hit and think they've made it and then might be take their foot off the gas and then sort of maybe it might be like a flash in the you pan. You can't take your foot off the gas, bro. Just yeah, whereas, whereas you have constantly throughout the years been pushing and pushing and pushing and have had releases and have had three albums out and have had all of the content. Man's got to eat, there. you know. <laughs> <laughs> like people think you, know, you get a hit, yeah. You're not making a meal. Do you know what I mean? Especially yeah. not nowadays. So like, you know, you've got to be careful with your money as well. I'm not saying that like, we're not millionaires. I mean, maybe some of us are maybe in this industry, but like it ain't, it's not. I think people get the wrong idea that we're all like making crazy dough. It's really for the love that we make drum and bass. If I was out here for the money, it would be a house music thing, really. And, yeah. you know, if you're interested in making money, go do make other music. <laughs> <laughs> Trip Hop, Massive Attack, Ronnie Size, Lakota. There's something about Bristol which births greatness. I spoke to Tom about growing up in the city. Well, what this was circling back to was I was going to say Bristol, Bristol born and bred. Yourself. Actually, London born, Bristol Sorry, bred. I've, I've no, no, it's all good. No, no, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't know wouldn't that. Know. If, you know, know. It's not in my Wikipedia, but yeah, I was born in Forest Gate in London within the Bells. And a lot of people actually were born in that hospital. So I think Nikki Blackmarket was born in there, MC Rage. I think Randall was born in that hospital too. So I think there's something about that hospital that's like... I mean, Rage t- said to me once, he was like, bruv, there's something about that hospital. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is. So yeah, I was born in Forest Gate and then I moved to St. Paul's in Bristol and I was raised there. So yeah, yeah, Brist- I'm, I'm pretty much Bristol, you know. Do you think Bristol had much of an influence with your, with your musical taste or music sort of the early years? A massive influence. You know, it's a big Afro-Caribbean community there. I grew up right next to the Malcolm X Centre. Like literally my back, my bedroom window would rattle with bass lines when the dance hall nights were going on. Do you know what I'm saying? Like every Friday, Saturday night, that, that was my life. I think that's sort of in my frequency. It's in my sort of like my being is that, that whole sort of culture. Yeah. Just, you know, it's just, there's so many incredible artists in Bristol, like visual artists and the whole thing with it's, there seems to be a real art community there and there's so so much inspiration you can draw from that so it's just massive and so many good artists out of Bristol man massive attack Ronnie Size represent the whole trip crust guys sort of, uh, yeah. bruv there's, uh, there's something man. in the water there there's something in the water absolutely there is definitely something in the water there with the uh, in with, the girt water yeah <laughs> yeah I mean it is it's, it is there's something about Bristol um, a lot of people move in there as well Spy came to uh, DJ Spy, who was born in Brazil. Now he lives in Bristol. There's um, Randall, I think, moved down to Bristol. I think a lot of people are moving down to Bristol. It's like London, but sort of a bit more laid back, I feel, you know? Yeah. It's not quite as hectic. And like, I think London's like, if you want to make money and lose a lot of money on rent, then go live in London. (laughs) But Bristol's kind of chilled. And what were your sort of, uh, what was your first like earliest uh, DJing experiences, were they in Bristol? So my first gig was on Park Street in Bristol in like an upstairs sort of club and it was like 10 people and it sort of really sort of blew my mind. It was like a complete, I will swear now, it was a total head fuck. Like I couldn't believe that I was playing the music that people were dancing to and it took me probably two or three more gigs to get into the mindset of actually, you know, 
just kind of forgetting about that and doing the craft, you know, I, it's sort of, and I played sort of mostly my own tunes and it was just sort of a test gig because I knew that I would have to DJ and a lot of people don't realize that most DJs are producers and they have to DJ in order to subsidize them making music. That's really the way that this industry is working now. And that's why it's so difficult for so much of us DJs, producers, when all the gigs have been like locked off because we're not having the opportunity to earn. There's no way from musical income in drum and bass, unless you are at the pinnacle, at the very top, you know, you're from the royalties that you're going to receive, you know, it's okay, but it ain't going to pay your mortgage. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's a, it's a revenue stream, which is cool, but it ain't sort of like going to buy you that Lambo, bruv. Mm. It's not going to get you that, that Rolex. <laughs> you think that's, do you think that's changed over time? Like with obviously with streaming now with Spotify and with Apple music and stuff like that, because you had, you have releases like on, on vinyl and obviously you would have went through like the CD generation. And it's Nero really and similar. Is it? It's really, really similar. The royalties. Yeah. So From my got... standpoint, it might be for, better for other people. Um, but I know what checks I was getting from vinyls and I'm still getting the same checks from Spotify. So right. it's not crazy upgrade on the royalties, but when I'm 90 years old, there's a chance that I'll still be getting them checks, which is quite yeah. cool. I feel it's really cool with Spotify that you continue to get paid. Whereas yeah. if I would have to be releasing records every month to be still getting that, that income. So it is a good thing from that point of view. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, it's, it's a nice uh, passive income. That's it. Passive in the sense that you have created all the work there and people are continuing to consume it. <sighs> you know, I, I used to think I was going to live on passive income. I thought passive income was the goal, but yeah. actually it can't be the goal, bruv. Like, I don't think there is any such thing as passive income. Even if you're in like stocks and trading and investments, or if you're in, you know, uh, property, you're, you're always going to be doing something there's going to be some headache you know and with like music you got to keep releasing music to stay you know to keep the, the spotify spider algorithm you know happy and you've got to be doing social media on the regs otherwise you know nobody's gonna you're gonna just sort of fall off yeah. you know i unfollowed a few people recently i was like rah you haven't posted in over an over a year and you're, yeah. so, you're an artist. I'm like, I, like, do you exist anymore? You know what I mean? Not, obviously not legends. If it's a legendary person that I love their music so deeply, you know, I would f follow them forever. But some people who I was following, they just, they, I just felt like they were being lazy. They weren't sort of, you know, out here making content for people to, to enjoy or to yeah. like, to even let them know that they're still there. So yeah. it's like, well, you know, they'll unfollow, you know. No, that makes sense. And then there's been a couple of, <laughs> you're out, you're off the list. Uh, you're not on the list. Um, there's a couple if you're of not on the list, bro. Yeah. <laughs> there's a couple of people as well that have done the flip. So like DJ Hazard has joined Instagram now, like a couple of months ago. Crushing. Um, crushing it, crushing it. Obviously uh, a very big name in the drum and bass community and a very big name in the drum and bass scene. And he's, uh, he's sharing like obviously in his studio and he's sharing like who's like artists and producers that are coming around and stuff like that. So it's, uh, it's yeah, it's good to see some artists as That's well. That's a big thing. What he's doing. I remember a few years ago, he told me that he had all that stuff in that room and he's like, don't tell no one. So I kept it to myself for years, like as my little secret, you know, I was like, I just got like loads of gear in the room. And uh, the fact that he's sharing that now is just, you know, it's amazing. It's actually yeah. amazing. What he's got in that room is, you know, he's got some really historic bits of equipment in there that not many people have got. And it really is the key and the secret to his sound. And he's being open about it. But it's still not accessible because nobody's going to go spend a hundred grand on equipment to sound like Hazard. You know what yeah. I mean? Because yeah. you can just download Ableton and make a tune now. So it's like, but you ain't going to sound like Hazard. That's uh, that's true. Have you managed? Have you have you been around yet, or do you think you will? Uh, any time no, in the future? I will make a massive deal if I'm going up there. <laughs> I spoke to him the other day. I mean, I, I've, I'm sure the invite is there. He's. He's a super nice dude, man. And if I was going to go up there, I'm getting camera crew and 
I'm documenting the whole thing. Like I'm going to make a big social networking hoo-ha out of that because yeah. I feel like from such a legendary producer like Hazard, you know, I would want to do him the justice of like, you know, properly showcasing what was going on. Yeah, Bruh, that studio is levels, man. So jealous. <laughs> Some of that gear, you just put a snare through it and it's like, psh, smash your head, head in. Your head <laughs> Music isn't the only thing that people are listening to in 2021. Podcasts are massive and Tom runs his own, talking to people from the drummer bass industry. As we were touching on there as well about like social media and about artists having a like different different outputs and and different sources of income and stuff like that. One thing that you have been doing is uh, is your podcast TC DMB Talk. So I've got a podcast. It's called DMB Talk. I mean, what I'm trying to do with it is really similar to what you're doing actually, and I think everyone should be doing it. I think it's a really, I think it's important to document what's going on right now. And I think there's a lot of history that is not known that should be known. And I think everybody should be trying to document everything that's happened and is happening right now. And really, that's the goal for me is just to talk to everybody in the industry that I've come across or spoken to or felt like I've had an affinity with. And even people that I don't know and just get to know them in a different kind of way. And it's about information, really. It's about giving producers and fans the ability to get to know the artists a little better and get to know how much of a worldwide thing this drum and bass is. You know, I've interviewed people in America, Australia. There's a guy from Australia that I've got coming on. I want to get Aki from Japan. I want to get Marky from Brazil. You know, I want to try and hit up some of the Spanish crews, some of the Portuguese crews. Like, there's so many people, you know, the Canada, New Zealand. It's just so worldwide. And there's so many people who fight the good cause of drum and bass around the world. Every major city has two or three crews of people who put on events every mm. weekend. If we're not, you know, in some lockdown business, it's been, it's, it's just... It's like the music scene, sort of the underground music scene that never really kind of blew up. And I think it's because the music's not quite that accessible. I mean, there are some more commercial artists now, but the music's still not greatly accepted in its sort of raw form. Um, so what do that's you think, really the goal. What do you think causes to, that? What do you think causes just that? The tempo, sort of like, man. It's yeah, just the it's tempo, man. It's just the BPM. Just... I think so. And, and the aggressive nature. I think it is the BPM. I think it's sort of like the, the aggressive nature of the sound. You know, it's very sort of challenging. A lot of them tunes, most producers' goal is just to make something really dark, you know, really yeah. like dark. And, yeah. um, and that's a good thing from my standpoint. I don't think there is, maybe dubstep has that sort of vibe where the producer will go in the studio and they're not like, I want to make something that people commercially want to put on or listen to. I want to make something that just makes people sort of go like, wow, that's crazy bass. Or, you know, like, I feel like it's the only genre of music apart from maybe techno, which has that sort of challenging sort of, side to it where you're trying to make sounds which are not necessarily always the nicest ones to listen to but it's like it's, it sounds that sort of evoke different emotions of being you know maybe like aggression or sort of you know because that's really what we're doing as as musicians is imparting emotions from us to you and there's so many tunes that i can go back to like um the wormhole album edge rush and optical like messiah conflict you know these tunes they ain't like it's not a pop tune you know there was like a little bit of that i suppose in sort of the late 2000s as well with the like trip hop kind of thing where it was kind of challenging hip-hop sort of darker edge stuff um and i guess the other thing about drum and bass that makes it sort of has has sort of a longevity to it is the DJing aspect with it 
you know, the way that you can combine tracks, the baseline of one track to um, sort of the music of another by using the EQ to do a double drop, which is where you'll sort of play two tracks over the top of each other and like almost remix the track with the baseline from one to another. I do believe it was Randall was the first person to do that, but was know, really? don't quote me on that. I was going to say that, that's a that's a, a crazy fact if if that's if that was if he was the first artist to uh, to do it in drum and bass. I'm not a hundred percent sure if that is gospel truth but i've heard through the great i need to get randall on to talk to him about oh, it really that would be an unreal episode i mean i there's so i got a list of 150 people that i'm just sort of really want to get on yeah um and i've had a lot of people who you know it's it's drum and bass right i think this is the other thing right it's kind of unorganized disorganized we kind of work on different time scale to a lot of people so i'll be like yeah i'll book you in for next week they're like yeah and then sort of three weeks later might be able to get them in. So it's just one of them ones where it's like the people involved is, is drum and bass. It's, there's like a sort of drum and bass mentality. Stuff doesn't happen quickly in drum and bass <laughs> in general. Really, what's, the, you know. what's, the, uh, what's the craziest thing you've learned on your podcast so far? What's the one thing, the one fact that you thought? Yeah, wow, I saw, I I saw this question. As you know, um, there's nothing really crazy that we talk about. I, I'm trying to keep it sort of mainly sort of production focused. And, right. you know, I want to talk to people about what's going on for them and what has, you know, their experiences in the past. You know, I just want to bring information to people. Um, that's production techniques. I want people to learn about like the etiquette in drum and bass as well. There's a thing for DJs, you know, like, there's a transition etiquette, which is really important. If you're playing after somebody, um, you should never take out their headphones, never touch their headphones. When they take the headphones out of the headphone jack, that's like the significant indication that they are relinquishing the decks to you and then you can touch the decks. But until they pull their headphones out, you're not really allowed to go put in your USB stick in or plug in your stuff in or put in a record on. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's... This sort of like unspoken sort of etiquette in that thing, and I wanted to make that's sure that that's to share of... that. That's uh, that's really interesting to uh, to hear. Like, there's people that might not think about that, or there's people that aren't DJs or producers that might just be ravers, might just be going to events and would never sort of see that side or would never sort of hear about that side. So, for you to be sharing that and also like just sort of giving a bit of an education on it and a bit of insight into it is a uh... the last tune thing as well. So, like in drum and bass, there was always a thing where you'd play like your mix and be like your last mix and then you would stop that and then they'd say do you, who wants one more and then you play one more tune and that would give the next dj the time to make his transition to the decks so they get a whole tune some djs would do a double drop in that time and mm. um, i don't i just play something chilled to sort of reset the dance but you, so you play one more tune from you, which can actually be like something a bit more thoughtful or memorable or whatever you want to be pushing at the time or whatever it is. I usually put on something chilled to like reset the dance for the next DJ so they can come on guns blazing. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, so that's another really important part of the, the culture is like that last tune from you and then you're passing over the decks to the next guy. And during that last tune, that's when you would pull out your headphones and that gives the next guy the sort of like indication, okay, it's cool for you to like do what you're going to do now. And you let the guy after you stop that tune in whatever fashion they're going to. And then they stop it and then they put on their first tune. Right. So it's like you don't mix in to the last tune of the guy before. It's not, that's not how this drum and bass thing really should work. Because I've had it before where like I finish my set and then the DJ after me doesn't know about this kind of stuff and just sort of mixes into my last tune. But that, that doesn't give any significance to them as a DJ saying like, I'm coming up now. Yeah. This is what I've got to bring. And I guess a lot of it comes from like the dance hall culture, you know, like um, sort of reggae dance hall. There's that sort of competitive nature to the business and it's war out there, but it's like friendly war. Yeah. You're going to come with like dub plates, special edits of your tunes that are like, 
different so that the guy before you can't have played any of your things. I've yeah. had it before where like big DJs will play my last four hits. Do you know what? I was about to touch on this. I was about <laughs> to say, have you ever had where you were talking about courtesy and about stuff like this? One thing that people might be aware of is like you wouldn't play a tune. If you're going, especially if you're playing before someone, it, it, if you're a warm up DJ, you wouldn't ever play the headliners sort of tunes. And especially as well, like even if anyone else is sort of playing So a before big you, DJ will ask you, is it okay for me to play blah, blah? And you, I just say, yeah, because I'll have a VIP of it. I'll have like yeah. a special edit that I've made of it. And actually, if my tune gets played twice, that's cool. Like, I'm okay yeah. with that. But yeah, so I've had it before where like a promoter will book you and they'll play before you. And they're such a massive fan of yours that they'll play all of your big tunes in their set before oh. you. <laughs> and and that, that's a little bit of a difficult standpoint. I mean, it doesn't annoy me because I appreciate that they... Like I've got compassion in my heart and I'm a kind individual and I understand that it's just coming from a good place, but it puts me in a difficult situation. Like, how am I going to cut? I don't have more big tunes of my, yeah. you know I, mean? <laughs> I mean, I've got quite a lot of tunes that people might recognize. So that's, I guess that gives me a bit of an edge, but you know, it is difficult from my point of view as an artist. I want to be able to play my tunes, you know, and most DJs are really conscious. And if they're playing before you, they won't play your tunes if they are sort of supporting you generally, you know what I mean? There's not many people that can make drum and bass remixes of Toto, Rihanna or Disclosure, but then there aren't many like TC. I spoke to Tom about how he goes about creating remixes and bootlegs. And talking of dub plates there and talking of, uh, talking of bootlegs and stuff like that, you are the king the absolute king of bootlegs and the king, the amount of dub plates that you have and the amount of remixes that you have done of tunes that you just would have never have thought or would have got a, like a, an official drum and bass remix and thought, oh, how's it, how's he going to make this into a drum and bass remix? You just seem to, there's, there's no stone left unturned with regards to genres of music or anything that you can turn into a drum and bass track. What's, what's sort of your favorite bootleg of yours? Well, I think it's important to go into the history of drum and bass a little bit. Um, and just sort of know that this has been in the culture for a long time. Unofficial remixes have been a massive part of drum and bass. And um, I mean, I've I just done so many, bruv. <laughs> Toto Africa. Like, um, usually I'll just go Spotify top 100. And like, if I find a tune in there that I'm like, yeah, that's that's actually sick because I'm not going to do something like super cheesy. I yeah. want something that's got some sort of gravitas and is a good tune, but just isn't drum and bass. And then I'll just sort of somehow make it happen. And like, if I've got a time stretch it or like, you know, sometimes I feel like I want to hear the drum and bass version after I've made it more than the original. Yeah. Cause I feel like the tempo is, is better for me, but then I'm kind of, you know, what's the word? Indoctrinated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's 174, 180, you know, like I'm, I'm really like of that tempo. Is, um, is, there, is there anything like, because we've got a couple of, so like you've done, you've done bootlegs of Get Lucky, you've done bootlegs of Julio Bashmore, of Disclosure, of Rihanna. So a lot of like, those were actually official remixes. So the Rihanna was official. Um, Disclosure was official. So like, this is where the labels contact me and say, do you want to do a remix? And then they'll send me all the parts and I get paid for those ones and they get released. And then some of them I just do. So, but the difference is I won't have the parts. So like all the individual parts split up for those other ones. So they ha you have to sort of somehow work your way around, you know, making it work. And there's a lot of different techniques that I've got for, for like, um, making things happen, making it work, you know? Yeah. Like you said, they're like time stretching and using uh, different musical like production techniques. Have you ever, have you ever uh, tried to do a, a bootleg of a track and it just hasn't, hasn't worked out? Like, is there any, yeah, all the time. Anyone? Yeah. Have you, yeah. Have you, can you name sort of any tracks that we would be like? Oh, like I don't know. Uh, there's definitely been a few that I haven't managed to make work. Um, and some are like, some of them I really want to go back in again and make them better because I feel like they're not quite how I wanted them to come out. And a lot of them end up just being sort of DJ tools. So I'll just play the breakdown and then I'll sort of cut into another more recent track on the drop. Um, I'm trying to think of one that I just couldn't make work. I don't know. 
I guess maybe I just sort of blocked those out of my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I just make tunes all the time I'm, I'm sort of it can be sort of an interesting journey as a producer like the other day I sat down and I was like I'm going to make some content I'm going to make some content about one of the plugins so in with music production just to explain to people who may not sort of understand or may not be a part of like the producer community we use like software to make the tunes and then there's loads of companies that make plugins which are like effects so like delays and reverbs and that kind of stuff and uh, i was going to do a focus on a particular effect as a piece of content i ended up like making a whole tune and not making any content that day and the tune turned out and it was you know it wasn't like the best tune it wasn't a great tune and like that can get me down a little bit because i'm like ah, oh, was that a productive day and then i'm like you know it's, it's okay because if i get to play it in a set and it does work then that's cool um but i just think you know i just want to be productive every day and i just want to make tunes every single day and as you say with like bootlegs you know there's so many of them because i just can knock them out sort of in a day it's not it's, and that, that all comes down to like the preparation side of things again to sort of bring it back to the the beginning of what we were talking about my system is so kind of set i'm not talking about um i do the same thing every single time because each production is different but i know where to find all of the tools that i need and i guess that comes back again to talking about adam savage in his sort of um maker space you know, if he needs a circular saw or he needs a drill bit, he's so, so super organized with everything that's in that space that he can just find what he's looking for straight away. And it's, that is the ethos that, that I'm always looking for is like, if I need a hat or a snare or a kick or some effects or whatever, I know exactly where I can go to find a big library of those sounds to make those tunes. So, so the execution of making tunes is just not really an issue for me. It's just just happens and there's a thing where like not thinking is almost better from an artistic standpoint so i try not to think too much when i'm making tunes and just sort of do and they're the best tunes if it just sort of like i did a a bootleg of astronaut in the ocean which has been sort of doing some good sort of stuff around in dj land and that took me like one and a half hours to make. And I, I felt like I could have probably made it better if I'd spent a bit more time. But I was like, nah, it's done. That is <laughs> absolutely unreal. Done. An hour and a half to make yeah. a bootleg of a tune. But it wasn't super complicated because the whole thing was already laid out in my mind. So all I had to do was find the bass that I already had in my mind, find the drums that I already knew would work, and then just, you know change the bass on the second 16, change the bass on the third 16 to a different, slightly different bass, move some, like restructure the track a little bit so that it made sense in terms of the structure of like drum and bass. And then, you know, copy the first half over to the second half from the breakdown and then the tune's done. It's not, you know, it's not, it wasn't really like rocket science and I probably could have done like a better job, but sometimes the simplest tunes are the best ones as well. Like, yeah. you know, we're not, it's not, I don't know. I'm not like the Beatles out here. I'm not going to be recording like a string section for the end of the track to make it better. Or like, you know, some tunes I might do if it's like a more sort of personal project. But if I'm just rolling out a tune just to play, no one's going to notice that. So just make it happen like real fast. So just having all the organization and having the tools at your fingertips there is just uh, is definitely a, a, a fantastic piece of advice there. I think for producers that are listening and artists that are listening. And back just, up your work. Another one that we were discussing before. <laughs> <with Minecraft. laughs> yeah, back up, have backups, hard drives, have stuff on Google Drive, have stuff on Dropbox. Make sure that it's there. Like the, the, your key tools and your key foundations, like you said, your, your library and your catalog that you would have built up over the years, uh, you would be lost without it. So yeah, absolutely. My backup system goes back to 2004 and I've got folders Jeez. from 2004 all the way to today. And the folders like the year and the month and then everything I work on in that month goes into that folder. So I've got every single tune that I've ever written from that time categorized in months. So like, and that's backed up on like five hard drives throughout the years. So like now I've got two 12 terabyte hard drives and 
that that entire sort of like time span is now on both of those hard drives. That sort of brings us on nicely to uh, one of the final points that I was going to talk about there. You've shared a lot for for artists and, and for DJs and people that are for big fans of the drum and bass scene and just pe- people that want to know about the music industry as well uh, on your podcast and on this episode as well. What's one piece of advice that you wish you could tell yourself right back at the uh, at the start just of your career? Just be kind, bruv. Be kind, be humble, be empathic. And have gratitude for the good things in your life, man. That's it. I wish that I told, could have told myself that early. You know what I mean? Just be humble. Don't be a dickhead, really. It's really important. Yeah. And like, I'm not saying I went around being a bit of a douche, but I mean, at the beginning of my career, maybe I got really pissy with the odd promoter or two because they didn't, you know, have the right equipment on stage for me when I was trying to perform. And that, I mean, that is really annoying when you turn up and like they haven't read the rider from the, from the agent and you haven't got the right equipment in order for you to be able to do your job properly. And that can be like, oh, um, so I would may have had a little kind of artist meltdown at that kind of situation. I was never the guy to get pissed off about like travel or accommodation mm. because that just is what it is. You know, sometimes you're going to end up in some, you know, there's one hotel in that village in Slovakia and that's where you're staying. And <laughs> there's no restaurant and it's just, is what it is. And you're going to eat your dinner with the family of the promoter. And you know, it's going to be some home cooked soul food from like, some Slovakian grandmother and that's okay you know what I mean and you just you just go with it it's nice so yeah just being kind being super super like nice to everybody and you know just enjoy it man like if if you're on that sort of what is it that trajectory of being an artist and having big tunes and I, I guess now I would have said also get yourself a camera crew and document everything from yeah. like everything and then you can remix it later and put it on your socials and that's you know from now i would say but that didn't really exist in 2006 2007 yeah twitter didn't exist and so i remember when twitter first came out i was like what is this like gonna text people when you got stuff to talk about (laughs) i thought literally that it would send them a text message from when you tweeted and the guys were like no 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 you need to get your name on there i was like okay well get my name and now look at you on your social medias if nobody is if if people are listening to this and aren't following you the positivity that you share on there the creativity that you share on there your tunes the people that you're interviewing and all of the content i think will be beneficial Uh, so if you are not following tc what you're doing absolutely follow you i mean i'm never gonna spam you that's my one thing you're gonna there's one post for everything and that's it so you know if you miss it then you missed out on the good stuff that i got coming out or whatever like i'm not that guy to be doing the same stuff every day there'll be something new something different every single day something positive some good information from a production standpoint and just you know i'm trying to just be out here spreading the good word of you know, peace, kindness, and compassion, bro. You know what I mean? That's what it's all about. It's what life's about. And it's just so important to have gratitude for the the things that are close to your heart. You know what I mean? It is, Tom. It is, it's been an absolute pleasure to, uh, to chat Thank to you. you this morning, Tom. Um, and I really do hope that as the events are lifted down and as you can start to DJ again and play out, that everything runs smoothly and that you are, you are back behind the deck smiling and, uh, and bringing the energy to the crowd. <laughs> yeah, after no sleep, that'd be brilliant. <laughs> I mean, it's like a 15-year sort of night shift being a DJ as well. Like, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> I can be- remember times where I've been like South America and played like Brazil, Chile and Argentina and slept like one hour the whole time. And like, yeah, so just be careful. If you're a new artist, just, you know, look after yourself as well. But that all comes down to the kindness to yourself, really. Yeah, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate, you know, you reaching out and asking to to do this. And I wish you all the best of luck with this podcast, bro. Listen, mate, I've told you once, I've told you twice, you're not on the list. All right, all right.